Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 11th, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. And in today's sermon, Eternal Life Assurance, Pastor Thomas Slager will be teaching from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. We hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small. I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. First John chapter 3. We're going to have a little Bible study together this morning. But first, I want to tell you about something my wife and I did last weekend that was amazing. Uh, we did this thing called the Ragnar Trail. Any like runners out there? So some of you are like, yes, I know what that is. Others of you are like, what is Thomas doing running? Um, you'll understand that part in a second. There was pizza giveaway. Um, so Ragnar Trail was this 120-mile race through the mountains. We had a team of eight. Um, you ran three separate races. The first one was like seven miles and then about four and a half and then about four miles. So in total, over the course of 24 hours at night and during the day, you run about 15 miles. Um, the longest I'd ever run unbroken in my life up until this point was three and a half. So after that first loop, um, the old dogs were barking, as they say. My knees were hurting pretty bad. My feet were hurting. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. It was this mentally challenging, physically tough thing that I'm really glad that I did, and I look forward to doing it again. It was an incredibly interesting thing. Um, but what was really interesting about this, this race was this neat interaction I had with the lady um, while we were in the pizza line. So that's why I was there. There was a pizza line at this race. Um, 24 hours, these people just pumping out wood-fired pizzas. It was amazing, right? Um, Thank you, Chase, Chase Seth. I prefer it for the credit card points. I appreciate that. Um, so I'm standing in line waiting for my pizza. I order my pizza. A lady comes by, orders her pizza. And um, my wife tries to make me eat healthy, so I order the gluten-free one. So um, the gluten-free one took a little bit longer. And I'm standing there waiting, and I get to chatting with this um, young woman who's probably like in her 20s. And we get to talking of what she does and kind of what she likes to do with her time and everything else. And then we get on the topic of work, as people often do. Um, and I asked her the question, well, what do you do? She said, I'm a graphic designer. I do like motion graphic stuff. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. How'd you, how'd you get into that? Well, I just like drawing as a kid and this, that, and other thing happened. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. What? I said, I'm a pastor. A what? I'm trying to think like, a preacher man? I... <laughs> I, I talk to Christians at church and lead people through life. A uh, priest, you know what a priest is? I'm like a Christian priest. I'm trying to think of like, how do we make this whole thing happen? And she asked the question, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm only 30. And she's like, huh. I didn't know 30-year-olds could be pastors. I was like, well, neither did I, but here I am, right? So, um, and, she's, and then we get, the conversation just keeps getting weirder and weirder. And she asks she, she asked the question. She said, no, how did you come into that? And I said, you know, I, how did you end up doing that? I don't think it's really something I chose. It's kind of the thing I think chose me, and I've kind of found something I like doing and walking in my calling. And, and she's like, well, personally, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, sweet. I'm like, 
cool. We both like pizza. We got that in common, so that's good. Uh, and then she asked me this question, which I think she might have had geared up and ready for me. She said, well, while I have you here, I do have one question. I said, okay. What do you think about the politicalization of the evangelical Christians and their political alignment to the Republican Party? And I'm like, it's a trap, it's a trap, it's a trap, it's a trap, it's a trap. <laughs> like, what kind of question is this? This is a question not to be answered. Uh, and I said, frankly, there is nothing on earth um, I would hate talking about more with you right now than that. I feel like I'm making a friend, and the quickest way I can make an enemy right now is by talking politics, so let's talk about something else. She said, okay, I have another question for you. I said, well, this is going good so far. What's the next question? <laughs> and she said, as a faith leader in your community, what would you do if you were to experience doubt? And I'm thinking, and, and by the grace of God, the pizza guy called her name out. She got her pizza, and she left, <laughs> right? I was like, whew, barely dodged that one, right? But I've been wrestling with that question. What do I do when I experience doubt? What do I do when I doubt um, whether or not I'm saved? What do I do when I, whether, when I doubt whether or not Christ loves me? What do I do when I doubt all of these different things? It raised a really good question. Um, and then come to think about it, haha, this morning's passage is answering that question. So thanks, God, for challenging me um, and showing me where I fall flat on my face. So hopefully I can help you not do the same. Um, this morning, again, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, asking the question, what do we do with our doubt? What should I do when I experience doubt? Let's read it, and then we'll pray. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given of us. Let's, let's pray and ask for God's help again. God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, this morning as we examine the question, what do we do with our doubt? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in and fill us with confidence. God, where there's conviction that we deal with that, that we would um, put down our sin, repent of those things and turn to you and run back to the relationship we know we have with you. God, would you give us eternal life assurance this morning, God, that we would not live another day in doubts of whether or not you love us or in doubt of whether or not we are, in fact, going to heaven to live with you when we die. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this place, this time together. We ask for your help in understanding and applying this passage, and it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Again, let's start with verse 19. You'll see three takeaways in your outline. Those are three big things you can take home this morning. Chew on them a bit and see where they lead you. Um, you could even continue studying these things in your quiet time if you wish. I promise it would produce a fruitful time for you. The first takeaway we see is the confidence we have in Christ. The confidence we have in Christ. And by confidence, I mean this. I mean confidence in it's, that it's in his grace that gets me into this relationship with Jesus and the confidence that it's his grace that keeps me in that relationship. 
It's the confidence that his grace alone gets me into this relationship, and and it's confidence in his grace alone that keeps me in this relationship. Verse 19 says this, By this we shall know that we are all of the truth and reassure our heart before him. By this we know that we are of the truth. If you remember last week where we left off, we have it up on the screen for you in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Little children, let us not love in word, or talk, not just the empty I love you's of life, but how? With our actions. And one thing he says here is indeed and in truth, that our love would be in truth. And then John follows up that and says, by this we can know that we are of the truth, that we, we're in the truth, we're in the faith, we're doing this the, the way that God has called us to do it. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes a statement, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're asking ourselves the question, how do I know that I'm in the truth? He says, by this you will know. So he's going to give us some tips in just a minute. By this we shall know. And that's been a huge theme of our book and a huge theme of our study together as we walk through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Our series is even called Knowing Truth that we would know what is true so therefore we can live our life out of that truth. Take your Bible and thumb to the right just a couple of pages to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now stop for a second. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. This isn't just a historical acknowledgement that Jesus existed. This isn't just some, yes, I agree that he's mentioned in the history books. I believe that. This is a trust. This is a faith. You believe in him. You believe that his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is what grants you right relationship with God, that it's that act of grace. That's the type of belief that we're talking about. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may what? Know that you have eternal life, that you may know you have eternal eternal life. Go back to chapter 3, verse 19 said this, by this we shall know. In the same passage, fast forward of it to verse 34 and says, and by this we know. Do you think Jesus wants you to be sure and confident of your relationship with him? The answer is yes, so we can try that again. Do you think that Jesus wants you to be confident in your relationship with him? Yes, Yes, absolutely. By this we can know. We can know that we are in the faith. We can know that we are of the truth. We can know that we are of the life. We can know that we are in Christ because the Bible says such a thing. Why should we know? Well, isn't confidence kind of important for healthy relationships? Right? Think of the relationship with your spouse. Is it important that you have trust with each other? Yes, absolutely. Think of it with your kids. It's important that we can trust them. It's more important to acknowledge that sometimes we cannot. (laughs) Think about your boss. Is it important to know that you can trust them, that you can have confidence that they are doing everything they can to lead your organization to the place in which they think it should go? There should be confidence that produces health and that relationship. Or think of a classroom setting. Should you have confidence in knowing that your teacher is bringing the class to the right place? That the teacher is teaching right curriculum. Yeah, we should have confidence in these things. Otherwise, there's, 
What's the point? I mean, why are we here worshiping this morning? It should be confidence. I'm worshiping God because I confidently know without a doubt that his grace brought me into this relationship and it's his grace that will bring me home. I worship him, I praise him, I live my life for him. Why? Not because I hope it's enough, not because I hope I tip the scales in the right way to please my Lord and that when I stand before St. Peter at the pearly gates, Peter says, hey dude, you knocked it out of the park, come meet Jesus. It doesn't work like that. Because we have confidence, because we have assurance, because we have trust, that produces faithfulness in our life. Confidence fuels our faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 says this, And we desire each one of you to, have, to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance. Full assurance of hope. How long? Till the end. Till we stand before Jesus. Full assurance. This is without a doubt. Complete. In this word hope, we like to think of hope as wishful thinking sometimes, don't we? Man, I hope I get that new pair of shoes for Christmas. I hope I get that job promotion. I hope I get this. I hope I get this. It's, it's wishful thinking, but the biblical definition of, of, of hope is like this steadfast trust and belief. I believe. I, I have hope until the end. I trust him to the end. I have full assurance to the end. It's not just this, I have a chance. It is 100% assurance. It reminded me of a wonderful uh, scene in a movie this week from the profoundly theological movie, maybe you've seen it, um, called Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> There's a scene in this movie where Lloyd Christmas, what a name, is standing before Mary Swanson and Lloyd says, what are the chances of a guy like me and a girl like you ending up together? And she says, kindly but truthfully, not good. He says, not good like one in a hundred? To which she responds, more like one in a million. He pauses, momentarily defeated. And then he says this, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. As silly as that is, I think it's the mentality of a lot of us go through the Christian life with. That he's telling me there's a chance. That if I believe the right things, if I say the right things, if I do the right things, if I love the right way, then there's a chance I'll get there. There's a chance that his grace will pick up where I left off and he will be the one who gets me. There's a chance. Does this passage talk about just a chance or does this passage talk about an assurance and a confidence that we have in Christ? It's confidence. We can have confidence in Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. I say that for a reason. I'll tell you why in a moment. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, so he who called you into this relationship, who started the whole good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now we talk about the word of the Bible as God's word, right? We call it God's word. First Timothy, first, yeah, first Timothy 3.16, it says, for all scripture is breathed out by God. It's like it's God spoken. In 1 Peter 2, it talks about how um, men didn't just write on their own. What they wrote is they were carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we say this is God's word, we actually mean this is God's word. This is what he is saying to us. 
So throw this verse back up there real quick. If this says, if this is God's word and this says, and I am sure. Does it, does it give you a little confidence that God himself says, I am sure? I am sure that he who began a good work in you, um, God, will be sure to complete it. If God wants us to be 100% sure about our standing and our relationship with him, if he wants us to be 100% confident, shouldn't we too be 100% confident? That's what he calls us into. He calls us into relationship by his grace and then he keeps us in that relationship and sustains us in the same exact way with his grace. The second thing we see in our passage this morning is the condemnation we will face. See, we can have complete confidence, but it doesn't change the fact that we will face condemnation in this life right now. And I don't think he means condemnation by um, damnation to hell, as in like eternal judgment, but condemnation is conviction. Condemnation is as guilt. And I think each and every one of us experiences this to some degree, don't we? If the Holy Spirit's inside of you, you should experience some sense of guilt about your actions. Um, I don't know how many of you felt uh, a little bit guilty and convicted after last week's message. Right? Like if, if my soul had a face, I think Jesus punched me straight in it. That's how I felt. Like what are you doing, man? Get off your butt and live the life you're meant to live. It's conviction. It's condemnation. It's this thing we're, we're supposed to feel that happens inside of us. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us. And I love that he says, whenever our heart condemns us. I'm so thankful that he didn't say, if ever your heart condemns you. As if it would be some type of anomaly where I did something wrong and felt guilty. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he's talking and says, man, what is my deal? These things I don't want to do, what happens? I keep on doing them. And the things I want to do, what's happening? And I, these are the things I can't. And then he raises the question, who can rescue me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's guilt, it's conviction, it's things that each and every single one of us feel. But how do we feel it? I think we feel guilt and condemnation in three different ways. Let's walk through those real quick. The first way we experience condemnation is just through our feelings. You heard that saying that you woke up on the wrong side of the bed before? You know those days you just don't, you don't get? It's like you're, you're thinking of the week before. Did something happen? Like, there's nothing. Like, did, did someone do something wrong to me? Like, I don't I think so. Did I really screw it up somewhere and, like, really wrong somebody? No, but you just feel this, like, down in the dumps guilt. There's something going on. Or maybe it's beyond guilt. Maybe you start feeling these, like, um, things we'd call orphan thoughts of like, man, God could never love me. He, he probably never even did. And we start feeling these things. We, they're not just invalid. Like they're actual feelings and thoughts that we begin to have. And what the world would tell us is, yeah, if your heart is leading you that way, then what should you do? You should probably trust it. Trust your heart. Go with your heart. Go with what feels good. I remember when I was doing um, junior high ministry and you'd hear all this middle school heartbreak, just the most dramatic stuff you can ever experience in life. Um, and then girls are talking to each other and Sally 
and Johnny were having relationship issues, so their friends are chatting with Sally, and Sally, you just, you just need to trust your heart. If your heart's telling you, get back together with Johnny, then that's what you need to do. And I'm sitting there like, Sally, don't listen to your heart. Listen to your dad. Okay? Listen to your father. He's the voice of reason in all of this. Can't just trust our feeling all the time. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the world tells us, yeah, trust your heart. Go with that. What does God say? Your heart's a liar. You can't just go blindly trusting your heart all the time. That's what gets us into this mess. That's why we need our mind to overcome the way our heart is feeling because our heart is capable of feeling some pretty awful and untrue things. Where does that first condemnation come from? That first type of condemnation comes from our own heart. Secondly, that condemnation comes from the Holy Spirit. Guilt, conviction, we feel it. We've seen a few different big tests in our time just in 1 John, and maybe you remember them or not. Uh, we, we've been talking them like this. We've taken this thing called a love test, which basically asks the question, do I love people the way God tells me to love them? Do I love people the way God tells me to love them? We've taken a belief test or a doctrinal test, which asks the question, do I believe in Jesus the way I'm supposed to? A third test we've taken, we could call the obedience test. Do I do the things Jesus tells me to do? Three tests. Do I love people the way God tells me to? Do I believe in Jesus the way that I should? And do I obey the way, do I obey Jesus the way that Jesus asked me to obey him? Now, chances are, if you were to ask yourself those three questions every single night before you went to bed, head hits the pillow, you raise the first question. Hmm, did I love people the way I'm supposed to love people today? Well, kind of, Sometimes. That I believe in Jesus the way I'm supposed to believe? That I trust him? Was I confident in my relationship with him? To a degree, kind of a little bit. Was I obedient to God the way I know I should be obedient? No. Chances are the thoughts you begin to think are, yeah, you know what? I probably um, shouldn't have been an, as, as angry with my kids as I was. I was wrong. I really messed that up. I did not love God's people very well right there. Instead of just listening to my wife um, and helping her and ministering to her heart, I, I just tried to fix her problems as I normally try to do. And no, I did not love her the way that God calls me to love her right there. Did I believe in Jesus the way that I should? Well, there's all these life situations going on right now. And as nice as trusting God sounds, trusting Thomas sometimes sounds better. But then again, my heart's a liar and sometimes I fall for it. Did I obey? Well, you know, I knew again I should have done this, this, and this, but again, I didn't do that, and I know I shouldn't have done this, and that's still the road I walked down. And we begin feeling conviction. The Holy Spirit begins convicting our hearts. That's what he's here for. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper... Um, that's the Holy Spirit. His role is to help us love people the way we're supposed to, to help us believe how we're supposed to, and to help us uh, obey the way we're supposed to. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So why do we sometimes feel the way that we do? Well, we feel the way we do sometimes because the Holy Spirit convicts us and causes us to feel that way. 
And he doesn't condemn us in a place of sending us to hell, but he condemns our hearts to know that our heart is in the wrong. And then our proper response should not be to sit in it and sit in our sorrow and sit in our shame and sit in our guilt, but to run to Jesus, the one who rescues us from it all. That's the second way we feel guilt and condemnation. The third way we feel guilt and condemnation is through the devil. The devil can accuse us to feel guilty. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. What does that mean? He wants you to think you're not a believer. He wants you to think that you're completely unlovable by God. He wants you to look at your own actions and then weigh them against what God would have you do so he can try to prove you as guilty. Guilty of not being in the body of Christ. Guilty of not being loved by Jesus. Now, the tricky thing is wrestling, which, which one are we feeling at any given moment, right? Because last week, it, it's, in some ways, the, like, we know we're supposed to feed the homeless guy. That's it, right in front of us. I know here what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help that guy. Okay, got it, Clear. What's not clear is this internal wrestling match that's always going on inside of our hearts. These questions of doubt of do I, does Jesus really love me? Do I really love him? Is he really going to keep me to the very end? Did I ever really believe in him to begin with? What's going on in my heart? Maybe it is that your heart is just a liar and instead of trusting your heart, you need to trust what the scriptures say. Or maybe it could be the Holy Spirit convicting you saying, hey dude, you dropped the ball again. Pick it back up and let's keep on going. Or maybe it's this accuser of the brethren accusing you in false ways and making you feel things you never should feel. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, know this. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. That phrase, he knows everything. So you think you're doing a bad job? God actually knows how bad of a job you're actually doing. You think you have days where you're pretty bad at being Christian? God actually sees it and knows how bad we are at being Christians. But he says this, God is greater than our hearts. So what do the scriptures say about our hearts? What do the scriptures say about how God is greater? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, there is, the, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none whatsoever. You're feeling that thought of how could God ever love me? Look what I've done. The accuser comes along and says, man, you're worthless. You should be ashamed of yourself. You use your head to reassure your heart. You use what you know God says to reassure how you're feeling. And you memorize things and you say these things that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And guess what? I am in Christ Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now we memorize that one and put it on our coffee cups and our t-shirts and everything else, which is wonderful, um, but we forget 17 and 18. 17 and 18 are equally wonderful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, the point of Jesus coming isn't just to see your sin and see how condemned you ought to be, but to see the grace and the gift and the goodness of the Savior coming to save you. 
We get so wrapped up in this of, look what I've done, and I'm dirty, and I'm guilty, and I'm ashamed, and oh, I just can't. He could never love me. But Jesus didn't come to make you feel that way at all. Jesus came to love you. Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to save you. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me ask, the, ask you this question. It's not a trick question. The answer is nobody, so I expect a resounding nobody when I ask, ask you this question. If God is for you, then who can be against you? No one. No one whatsoever. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Three of you. Good job. Extra credit. <laughs> it is God who justifies. We'll try this again. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he gives us an illustration of this. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure. Who wrote the Bible? Good job, bud. You killed it. That was awesome. God is sure, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth and in case he forgot anything nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How confident should you be in your relationship with Christ? How sure should you feel completely? Verse 21, he says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, which is interesting. He just spent all this time talking about if our heart does condemn us, then understand this, God's greater than our heart, and even if our heart condemns and God is greater, that means we too can still be confident. And then he says, if your heart does not condemn you, you can be confident too. So on those days where you're thankful Jesus didn't come back, because frankly, it just wasn't your best day, um, you should be confident. And on the day where you're like, would have been a good one today because I nailed it. <laughs> you can be confident too. No matter where you fall in that, we have confidence before God, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now look at this confidence. This confidence even infiltrates our prayer life, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. As a kid, I'd read verses like this, and whatever we ask for, we receive from him. Or Jesus would say, whatever you ask for in my name, he'll be, the Father will be sure to give it to you. So I would say things like, God, um, could I get a new hockey stick? In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. God, can I get a hot tub? I prayed that one last week. <laughs> Didn't happen yet. He said, I gave you a job. Pay for the hot tub if you want to. 
Whatever we ask from him, we receive from him. Here's, here's, here's the, the thing. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Go to the right again to chapter five. Chapter five, verses 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence, again, this is the confidence we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. So how does this whole thing work? See, when I'm just concerned about obeying him and when I'm concerned about pleasing him most, I end up asking for and praying for the things I should have that he should give me. If we look at this book alone, um, what's a good thing we should pray for according to 1 John? We should ask for God's help in loving people the way God wants us to love people. If we ask him that, he'll do it. We should ask for his help in believing in Jesus the way we should believe in Jesus. And because he says he wants us to do that here in 1 John, guess what? He'll do it. We should ask for his help in having obedience because here in 1 John, he tells us he wants to be obedient. And if we ask for that in prayer, guess what's going to happen? He'll do it. We have confidence in Christ. We have confidence that his grace is what brought us into this relationship and it's his grace that will keep us in this relationship. And because of that, we can also have confidence to approach him and ask for things. At least to the third thing, the commands that we keep. Verse 23, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. There's those three tests, again, that we believe It's the test of belief, that we would love one another. It's the test of love, just as he has commanded us. Again, it's the test of obedience. When we obey the commandments, then he helps us. He answers us. He listens to us. How else can I know that I'm confident? He gives us more ways in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. How can I know I'm in Christ? How can I know I'm saved? How can I know that this whole thing is legit? He says it's by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, I don't know how you felt last week leaving church. I just felt convicted in a good way. Right? And part of me was asking questions like, why am I such a bad Christian? I know the things I'm supposed to do, and I I continue to not do them. I know the things I'm not supposed to do. I continue to do them. What's the matter with me? And here's what what this says. If you are that concerned about your own personal holiness, if you are that concerned about loving God's people the way you're supposed to love them, if you're that concerned about believing in Jesus the way you're supposed to believe in him, if you're that concerned about obeying him the way he's asked us to obey and you feel that conviction, that in itself is sign and a sign of confidence for you that you are in fact of the faith. That we would know truth. That even on the days when we wake up feeling down in the dumps, even on the days we will wake up full of self-doubt and condemnation, looking at our life and saying, God could never love someone such as me. How, if, I, if I was a real Christian, I wouldn't keep doing these things. But here's what he says. That on those days when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the grace that called you into a relationship with him is the same grace that will keep you in that relationship with him. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're, um, like me, wrestling with some stuff like I've been for the last week, um, even the last 24 hours of continuing to do things I know I shouldn't um, and not doing the things I think that God should have me do. And I'm feeling a sense of conviction about them. Maybe you're here this morning in the same place uh, as that. Here's how you should respond. You should drop your sin, turn away from your idolatry and your worship of self and flee towards Jesus. He loves you and in him there is no condemnation whatsoever. Maybe you're in a different boat this morning. Maybe you're trying to figure this whole thing out. You're agreeing to this whole church idea like the people are wearing nice clothes. You're not used to that. This guy's talking at you for way too long. You're not used to that. Um, And you're trying to figure out this grace thing. You're used to the whole, you kind of tip the scales in the right way because honestly, logically, that makes sense that I would do the right thing in order to receive the right thing. That's just not the gospel. Gospel means good news, and good news is this, that though you are a sinner, that though you do things that separate you from God, that God made a way for you to enter into right relationship with him, and it's completely because of grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, By grace, a gift we don't deserve, we have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not resulting of works, so that no one may boast. We look at ourselves and say, God, sinner such that I am, wretch such that I am, why you choose a man like me, I do not know, but because of this, I am grateful. This morning, maybe you find yourself in that place of not fully understanding. Maybe you've lived a life trying to tip the scales, and this morning, the grace of Jesus has become all the more appealing to you. I'd ask you to say yes to that. Say yes to the calling that, the, that God has put on your heart this morning, the conviction that you're feeling to turn away from your past life and embrace the new life in Christ that he's given you, that you turn away from your shame, that you turn away from your guilt, and you'd embrace this confident life that we can have in Christ. Christ and in Christ alone. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I don't know where people are at this morning. Lord, if um, there's some Christians here feeling guilty and feeling dirty and feeling um, like they're not enough or feeling ashamed, God, I ask that you would encourage their hearts to not sit in their shame and their sorrow, but they would look to Jesus. God, those here who are maybe interested in exploring you further, God, that they would be um, bold and courageous and maybe come down front and talk to me or someone on our prayer team afterwards and just explore this concept of faith. And God, for those who are ready to dive in, those who are 100% ready to say yes to you because they know that's where there's forgiveness, confidence, and assurance is in you and you alone. God, I ask that you would Just continue convicting their hearts, God, that you would turn them from their sin, they'd repent, that they'd turn to you and cry out to you. If that's you this morning, um, I would invite you to come down front after service. I'd love to pray with you, pray for you, um, and even give you some resources to help you send you out on your way to live this thing we call the Christian life. Let me pray for us again and then we'll close in worship. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your gift of grace. God, we know it's not by our own doing that we enter into, our, enter, enter into a relationship with you and it's not by our works and our own doing that we maintain and sustain that relationship. God, you have called us 
by grace, and it's by that same grace you will keep us. So God, we place our hope, we place our trust, we place our everything in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Highlands Church, it is by his grace and his grace alone that he has brought us into right relationship with himself. And it's through that same grace that he will keep us. Would you embrace that confidence and be assured of Christ's love for you this week? Be blessed. We love you folks. Bye.